Have you ever um, gone to a thing only to find out that the thing that you went to wasn't the thing you thought you were going to? Ever had that experience? This story didn't happen to me. It happened actually to Jeff Lockyer about 20 years ago. But there was a, a Sunday a couple decades ago where after service, a whole bunch of us went out for lunch. And it was just this amazing lunch where 15 people around the table, we just got into this incredibly deep conversation. And when it was all done, we were all kind of getting up to leave. The guy who was sitting beside Jeff leaned over to Jeff and he said, this conversation was incredible. He said, could we meet for coffee and continue the conversation? And Jeff was like, yeah, no problem. They made up arrangements to go out for coffee that week. And Jeff was kind of excited. This guy wants to, he's not a church guy. He wants to keep the conversation going. So when he left to go to this coffee, he was all kind of excited. And he came back a while later, absolutely irritated. He was probably, he was beyond annoyed. And I was like, what? I said, what happened at this coffee? And he said, well, he said, we sat down. So five minutes of small talk and I was waiting to introduce. So let's pick up the conversation from Sunday. And the guy looked at me and he says, Jeff, I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to sit down like this because I have a very exciting business venture that I think that you would be interested in and went on to pitch him on some kind of multi-level marketing scheme that he thought Jeff was, wanted to be involved in. It was one of those moments where the thing Jeff thought that he was going to wasn't the thing that he thought he was going to. Maybe, maybe that's happened to you. You, somebody that you love has said to you, hey, let, come with me and run some errands, but we just got to stop by at so-and-so's place first. And so you go over to your friend's house and when you open the door, like 35 more friends jump out from behind the couch and all yell surprise. And the thing you thought you were going to isn't the thing that you actually went to. Maybe, maybe somebody invited you over to their house one day to hang out. You got there and it turned out to be an intervention. Maybe... You got invited to a costume party, except it wasn't. Like, have you ever been, have you ever gone to a thing only to find out that the thing you had gone to wasn't the thing that you thought it was? Because the awkwardness in those situations is that now I've shown up and I've expected it to be this kind of event. And now I have to figure out how to behave because in reality, it's actually this kind of event. And the, the reason I bring it up this morning is because we're starting a series today where we want to talk to you about this thing that we come to and talk about what it is that we do when we gather here, what kind of thing this thing is when we gather on a Sunday morning. Because my suspicion is that for some of us, we show up here and this isn't the thing you thought it was going to be. I think for some of us, uh, maybe especially those who have been around the church for a long time, we show up in an environment like this and what we expect it to be is a place where we can actually learn more about the Bible, learn more about God, learn more about the life that God has for us. The key word that I keep saying over and over again is the word learn. That in our minds, the paradigm of what we think we're attending when we show up on a Sunday morning, what we, the thing we think this is, is kind of like a classroom. It's a place where we will learn more about the Bible. And honestly, I hope that that's one of the things that happens when you come here because I'm kind of out of work if you don't. So I would love it if that were true. But when, when, 
when our assumption is that showing up on Sunday is kind of like a classroom and that the thing that I'm going to experience is learning, that paradigm dictates how I participate. And the way I participate when I think Sunday morning is kind of like a classroom, the way I participate is kind of like a student in a quasi-passive mode expecting to receive information and knowledge and learning that I didn't have before. You, you can always tell people who come with this kind of expectation because they will use, after a service, they will come up and they'll talk to me and they'll say, thank you, I learned a lot today. And I'm thankful that you did, but that's not the main thing that this thing is about. When your paradigm is a classroom, you participate like a student And what that produces in your life oftentimes is a faith that is largely based in your head. It's a cognitive thing where beliefs and getting your beliefs exactly perfect are are really important kinds of things and where you end up with people who, who follow Jesus but who know way more than what they do. You see, how you think about the thing dictates how you participate And that sort of determines what gets produced. I'll give you another example. I I think that there are some people who come, and they don't think about this space as a classroom. They think about it more like a walk-in clinic or a counselor's office. This is a place that you come when something in you or something in your life is broken. Right? That's why we go to walk-in clinics. Because something in my body is not working and I need it to be fixed. Well, when your paradigm is that Sunday services are kind of like a walk-in clinic or a counselor's office, then that determines how you participate. You participate like a patient, right? You come expecting the paid professional to fix the thing that's broken. You come in sort of, a, again, a passive posture of receiving, not this time not information, but receiving Therapy, receiving healing. And honestly, that's, I hope that this is a therapeutic environment. I hope this is a healing environment for people. Uh, And we talk about God giving us the gift of hope and healing often. But that's not the main thing that this space is about. It's because when your paradigm is a clinic or counselor's office, you participate like a patient, what that produces in your life is a faith that is, I don't know how to say it, except it's a kind of a foul weather faith, that you're more inclined, you're more motivated to get spiritual when something in your life is broken. Nobody goes to the walk-in clinic when they're doing great. Um, Or you show up expecting to be fixed and if the circumstances in your life don't change, it's, you become the kind of person, this is the kind of person who walks away and says, I tried Jesus, but Jesus didn't work for me. I think some of us come not believing that this is a classroom where we learn or a, a clinic where we find healing I think some of us come thinking more like this is a motivational seminar. We come to be inspired. It's more of a campaign rally or a 
I don't know, change the metaphor. It's kind of like a gas station, right? That all throughout the week, I'm slowly running out of gas until by late Saturday, my spiritual life, my spirit is kind of running on fumes and I show up on Sunday morning to get inspired. I show up on Sunday morning to get my tank filled, to get my tires pumped so that I can go out into another week all energized and all excited. And honestly, I hope, that, I hope this is an inspiring environment for you to be in. Um, but when that's your paradigm, that there's like a campaign rally or a gas station where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my tank filled for another week of grinding it out, the way you participate, again, is kind of passive. You come expecting somebody else to pour their energy into you, to pump you up, to motivate you and send you out. And what that produces in your life is kind of like a hashtag faith. It's a faith based on hype and emotion and energy and and whatever, but as you go through the week, as your energy dwindles because life, your faith does as well. Like some people come thinking that this is, I don't know, um, I couldn't think of a great word, but people come expecting to be entertained. Like I'm under no illusion that this is as fun as binging Netflix, but but what I mean is people come expecting to see a show that they will enjoy. No one would say that, of course. But you think of it not as a classroom or a clinic or a campaign rally. You think of it more like a concert. Like you're going to show up and sit in the audience and watch the paid professionals do what they do. And you're going to enjoy it or not. And I hope you do enjoy being in this environment most weeks. But you can tell somebody who, who thinks that the main purpose of coming is their enjoyment because they use the word like a lot. They will say, I liked the sermon. I didn't like the preacher's outfit. I didn't like the way that song was led. I really liked these songs, but I didn't like those songs. See, when your paradigm is that it's like a concert or a show and you're a member of the audience, the way you actually participate is more like a critic. You evaluate everything that happens according to whether or not you liked it. You, you go home after church and you have the preacher for lunch or the worship leader, or the song set, or whatever it is. And what that produces, that kind of posture, is more of a consumeristic kind of faith. I'll engage if I like it, but you had better impress me to get me to get involved. And the truth of the matter is that none of those ways of thinking about what this is and why we come, none of them are actually why we show up on a Sunday morning. They're all, though there's truth to all of them, they're all untrue at some level. Here's why we come. We show up in this space on a Sunday morning for no smaller reason than to encounter the living, loving, saving presence of God. Period. That's why we come. When you read the scriptures and the scriptures talk about worship, which is what this environment is. This is why we come. When, when the scriptures talk about worship, all the way through the Bible, they talk about people going to the temple. 
right? You go to the temple to worship. And do you know what the temple is? The temple is the place in an ancient mindset where people would go to temple. The temple is the place where heaven and earth overlap, where heaven and earth are the same place. You haven't left earth. Your, your feet are still, you know, on terra firma. You're still on on the earth where you're standing. But when you're in the temple, you are simultaneously standing within the precincts of heaven because heaven is where the gods are. You go to the temple to be in the presence of the gods and to experience their saving effect in your life. That's what worship is. And when you read the New Testament in a book like 1 Corinthians chapter 3, listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the church at worship. He says this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Where is the temple? Where does someone go to experience the living, loving, saving presence of God? They join the community gathered in worship. That, that plural where it says you yourselves, that's an important plural. Three chapters later, Paul will say each one of us who have put our faith in Jesus is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in your life and, as well. But what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is that when the community gathers together for worship, God's presence resides in their midst in a way that cannot be found anywhere else in the world in exactly the same way. When we gather, God lives in our midst. He says it a different way. A few chapters later in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, now you, again, this is plural, y'all, are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Y'all together, when y'all gather in a community for the purpose of worship, you become the body of Christ. What does that metaphor mean? The body of Christ. Well, I'll show you something, a little bit of an object lesson. This is the body of Michael. For better or for worse, this is it. This is all you get. Well, that's all I get. Uh, this is the body of Michael. What is the body of Michael? This is literally, literally the only way that you can physically, visibly, tangibly experience my presence in your life. Now, some of you are watching online uh, because you're self-quarantining or because you couldn't make it today or because um, whatever, or some of you are watching by video in other locations and my body is not where you are. And because my body is not where you are, you are not physically, visibly, tangibly experiencing the body of Michael. You're not experiencing my presence because my body, your body, this is how we are present to each other in the world. So now think about what Paul says. When the community gathers to participate in worship, we become the body of Jesus. We become the way we physically, visibly, tangibly encounter the presence of Jesus in our lives through each other. The point is the same. That we, the community gathers and becomes the place where God lives uniquely in the world. Now, God can be experienced all sorts of places. 
And certainly Paul doesn't mean the building that you're sitting in is the place where God, that it's God's house. None of that. What he means is when the community gathers, that's where God is to be found. That's not just where we experience the presence of God. That's where we experience the saving effects of God in our life. In Acts chapter 2, it describes the very first worship pattern of the church when it was first founded. And it says this, that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to participating in each other's lives, to the breaking of bread, in other words, eating together in community and celebrating communion, which they did at, at a meal together, and to prayer, to, to lifting each other up in the presence of God. What, what the Acts chapter 2 is describing is worship. The very practices we do when we gather for worship. And what the book of Acts says is that the community, they didn't casually participate. They didn't go when they had time. They devoted themselves to the practices of worship. And do you know what happened in their midst? The next verses will tell you. Healing swept through the community. Socioeconomic justice descended on the entire community as people's hearts were transformed for the sake of generosity. People experienced a deep spirited joy of being community with each other. Their hearts were filled with praise for what God was doing in their midst. People who were on the outside looking in could not believe the beauty of the life that they were witnessing within this community and they wanted to be a part of it. Right? This is what the book of Acts is saying, that when they devoted themselves to the practices of worship together as a community, what they discovered was that life became tiny glimpse of heaven. It was a little slice of heaven on earth. It was, it was a, a moment. It was a space in which they got to experience life with each other the way life was always intended to be. When we gather for worship, we gather for the reason that when we come together, we encounter who God is and we experience a taste of what it is that God wants to do in and through and for us in our lives. We experience the life of God, but that is not all. That's God's part. That's what God does. God shows up and God gives us a glimpse of the life that God is inviting us into. But we have a role when we gather. Uh, theologians for centuries have said that worship consists of two basic parts. There is revelation where God shows us who God is and God shows us what life with God is about. But then there's response. There's what we do. And there are two kinds of responses. The first is adoration. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is the, the bottom line statement about how we respond to discovering the loving, saving presence of God and a glimpse of the life that God wants to give us. The Deuteronomy says, in response, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. The response is love. The, the word in Hebrew that gets translated as love, it comes from a, a root word that literally means to breathe heavily. And I give you permission in your minds to imagine why 
a word that means to breathe heavily might come to be translated as love. <laughs> because really, you could translate it as be passionately for, be passionately in pursuit of God. That's the response, that we passionately pursue this relationship with this God who shows God's self to us, and we pursue God with all of our heart. Now, in Hebrew, in English, the word heart, we mean how we feel. In Hebrew, it means all of the things that go on inside of us. It means how we think and how we feel. It means what we do with our attention, what we do with our intention. It describes everything about the inner you. The Hebrews, the writer of Deuteronomy says, in Hebrew, he says, focus everything about your being, everything that you are on loving God. And he says, not just with your heart, but with your soul. It's kind of confusing. The word soul is the word that we use for the inner me. But in Hebrew, the word soul means if the heart is the inner me, the soul is all of me. It's my inner me, but it's also my body. It's not just what I do with my mind and with my heart and with my intention and my attention. It's what I do with my body. It's what I do with my face. It's what I do with my hands. It's what I do with my feet. It's what I do with my posture. It's how I pray. It's everything about what I say and what I do, not just what I think and what I feel and what I choose. It encompasses everything about my living behavior. But it's not just my heart, it's not just my soul, it's also my strength. My physical strength, yes, but all of the resources that I have that make my life strong. The strength of my personality, the strength of my power, the strength of my privilege, my relational strength, my political strength, my economic strength. It's all of the resources that I have. Here's what the writer of Deuteronomy is saying, is that when you realize who God is and what God has done in your life, you respond by passionately pursuing this life with God with everything that you are and everything you have and everything that makes you you all of it gets channeled and poured into pursuing after God to love him we adore God but it's not just adoration it's also action in Philippians 2 it says this continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose it's not just something we do here with pouring everything that we have into loving God back. It is something that we do with all of the rest of our lives as well. What we discover about who God is and what we discover about the life that God is giving us, not because we're learning about it only, but because we're encountering it when we gather to worship. It's all of that that we then take into the rest of the week and we work out what that looks like for us to live that out from Monday to Saturday. The other 167 hours of the week, we work out what this life with God looks like in our life. And it's not, by the way, it's not just pulling yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps. It says you work out your salvation because God is working out your salvation. Same word. In both cases, it's the word that gives us the English word energy. And it means we're energizing. We are activating. We are making real in our lives. And as we attempt to figure out how to make our faith real in every part of our life by working it out, God is simultaneously working it out. And we become co-workers with God on our life of faith. We gather because in this space, God shows us who God is. 
And God shows us the life, a glimpse of the life that God is inviting us into. And we respond by adoring God, by pursuing God passionately in love with everything we have and everything we are, and then figuring out how to work that out in all of the rest of our lives. That's why we gather. So let's go back to how we think about this space. What is this that we do when we gather? It's not a classroom. It's not a clinic. It's not a campaign rally. It's not a concert or a show. Do you know what it is? It's a spiritual gymnasium. It's a place we go to begin the process of working out. This is what Paul says elsewhere in 1 Timothy. He says, train yourself to be godly. The word godly, by the way, isn't about character. It's about train yourself in how you live out your spiritual practices. For physical training is of some value, but spiritual practices have value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. We gather for worship to train. Think about the gymnasium. Actually, the word train is a Greek word, gymnase, and you can probably hear our English word gymnasium in that word. The word gymnasium in Greek um, literally translates to exercise naked. We got heavy breathing, we got naked exercising, we got a little bit of everything this morning. It's to exercise naked. In other words, to pour your energy into doing the things that make you healthy without being encumbered, without being burdened, without being dragged down by all the other stuff in your life. That's what we gather to do. We, we come into this space and in a sense, we strip off all of the rest of our life. Now I know you bring yourself in here. You bring your life circumstances in here. I know you bring it all with you and you need to bring it all with you. But when we step into this space, we are stepping out of the rhythm of our lives. We're stripping off all of the rest of our lives so that we can enter into the presence of God naked and vulnerable and open and authentic in order to do the work to pour out the energy to engage in the spiritual practices that make our faith healthy. That's what this is. It is a spiritual gymnasium. When you go to the gym, you don't go to hear a lecture on what health looks like. You don't go to learn in that sense. You don't go because uh, you need physical therapy. Uh, in fact, Working out looks different and sometimes has to be put on hold when healing is required. But that's not what you go to the gym for. Um, you don't go just to be inspired by your personal trainer who tells you that you can do it. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you leave. You certainly don't go to be entertained by how well everybody else is doing or how well the paid professionals are doing their job. I had a friend years ago it's a bigger guy. He used to say, if you're not sweating when you're eating, you're just not eating hard enough. I would say, if you're not sweating when you're worshiping, you're just not worshiping hard enough. You go to the gym to work out, to engage all of the energy of who you are, all of the energy of what you're about, all the energy you have, whether you feel it or not, whether you feel like it or not, you show up to do the work because you know that it makes you healthy. 
This is a spiritual gymnasium. When you think about this as that kind of paradigm, that shapes how you participate. Because now, instead of a passive posture of learning or receiving healing or receiving inspiration or receiving entertainment or whatever the case may be, now you show up in this active posture of, I am going to fully engage with all of my inner world, all of my mind and all of my emotion and all of my attention and all of my intention. I'm going to engage with my bodily world, with my face and my hands and my feet and my body and my posture. I'm going to fully engage who I am. I'm going to engage with all of my resources, all everything that makes my life strong. My, I'm going to engage economically and politically and with my privilege and with my personality, with my power and with whatever I have at my disposal. I'm going to bring everything and I'm going to pour it all into doing the exercises that make me healthy. That's what these things are. When we gather to sing, when we gather to pray, when we do these spiritual practices that we're trying to learn how to do as a community, when we share in community life, when we give our money, when we engage with the scriptures in reading and, and listening and, and, and through sermons, when we take communion, when we respond to the message in other ways, those are the spiritual exercises that if we participate in with all of our energy, whether we feel it or not, whether we feel like it or not, these are the exercises that we do that open a space for us to encounter God for who God is and for us to catch a glimpse of this life that God has invited us into, a space that allows us to adore God, to passionately pursue God in love for who God is, and, and then to think about, to begin to think about how we're going to work that out in our life for the whole rest of the week. These are the exercises we do that will make us healthy in the end. A couple years ago, my wife <clears throat> got into triathloning. And this year, she took it to another level. She joined a training group. She's a personal trainer. And her goal, coronavirus notwithstanding, her goal is to compete in a half Ironman triathlon in July in the States. Do you know how she will achieve that goal? She's going to show up whenever the group is training. Whether she feels it or not, whether she feels like it or not, she's going to show up and swim her two kilometers. Or she's going to show up and she's going to ride her bike for two hours. Or she's going to show up and she's going to run her 18 kilometers. She's going to take everything that she has. It's going to take all of her mental energy. It's going to take all of her heart. It's going to take all of her attention. It's going to take all of her intention. It is going to take all of her body and all the physical resources she has. It's going to take everything she has to pour herself into this training. And then when she's done training with the group, do you know what she's going to do? She's going to come home and the next day when she's not training with the group she's going to figure out how to follow the training program that's been laid out for her on Monday and then Tuesday and then Wednesday and if she keeps pouring herself into her training do you know what she'll become well she already is a triathlete she will be the healthiest, fittest version of the thing she's trying to become. That's what happens when you show up here 
and engage with everything that you have to, in the spiritual exercise that we practice together to open a space to discover who God is and to discover a vision of this life that God is inviting us into and to pursue God in love and to figure out how we're going to work this out in our life for the whole rest of the week, you're going to discover that the exercises are making you healthy. You're going to get into spiritual shape. Howie Mandel once said, I've decided to get in shape. The problem is the shape I've decided on is a triangle. Right? You're going to, if you show up and you work out, you're going to get into shape. And the shape you're going to get into is the shape of Jesus. The people will look at you and they will know a little bit more about what God is like because God shines through your life and they can see it in the life that you begin to live. So, let's commit to being a community that works out. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful that I don't have to make myself something. Uh, I don't... My spiritual health and fitness is not the product of my own energy. It's something that you do in me, but I'm also thankful that you invite me to participate with you, to take ownership of my own spiritual health. You give me a space to come and work out, to come and meet you, to come and discover this glimpse, to experience a glimpse of this life that you've invited me into. And that's true of all of us. So God, would you make us the kind of people who even when we don't feel it and even when we don't feel like it, love and passionately pursue you enough to want to work out our faith so that we can become people who look like your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.